Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Now let's get on to what we're here for, the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, why don't you take them out and hold them up? As I pointed out last week, I'm kind of excited about this. I'm holding it with my right hand. I've got weight in my right hand, with my messed up shoulder. I'm doing physical therapy for my shoulder. I just found out this last week, he had me go through some motation stuff. Surgery. You know what they found out? My right shoulder now, in some ways, is better than my left. So, well, I'm not going to have you fix my left. We'll just leave it stock. Anyway, enough about me. Repeat after me. This is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us and this opportunity that we have to come together in your presence. Lord, to hear from your word. I pray that you'd open our hearts today. Lord, that you would challenge us. You would encourage us. You would change us for your glory. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Be glorified, Jesus. Amen. Well, why don't you take those same Bibles and open up to Leviticus chapter 26. I'm going to read something that I find pretty interesting. This is, you know, Leviticus is uh, one of those books in the Bible that, you know, if you're going to say that there's some dry books or some dry parts, Leviticus is, is one of them. It's got some dry stuff in it. But how many of you know that even, even the dry stuff is good for you? If it's in these covers, if it's between Genesis and Revelation, the Lord intended it for us. Sometimes we've got to do a little bit of mining to figure out what He put in it for us to get out of it. But it's all good. It's all important. And I want us to take a look at something that I find really interesting. In Leviticus chapter 26, this was this was the word given to the people of Israel as they have left Egypt and they're wandering through the desert. They're heading to the promised land. God is making them aware, not only of the things that they need to do, but of what He wants to do, how He wants to bless His people, how He wants to encourage His people. So Leviticus chapter 26, starting in verse 3. If you follow my decrees... That's, that's a big part right there. If you, tell us right there, we got a little bit of a responsibility here, right? How many of you ever raised kids and you tell them, hey, if you do something right, I'm going to bless you. If you do something wrong, I'm going to warm your behind. Sometimes, it re, sometimes the, the, the determining factor between blessing and cursing falls upon the individual. Okay? Starts this out, if you will follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season. Boy, we must really be honoring God around here because we've been getting lots of rain. I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until the grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until planting and you'll eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. That all sounds pretty good, doesn't it? 
It's kind of it's it's almost strange to think that we can have somewhat of an effect on the weather, that we can have somewhat of an effect as a nation, as a people, not only on the weather, but on the on the bounty, on the harvest, on the peace, on the safety of our lives. But that that's exactly what God is saying here. If you'll obey me, if you'll do your part, man, this is what I want to do for you. Let's move down to verse 6. I will grant peace in the land, and you'll lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. I want to start, it's, that, it's that part right there, the savage beast part that just, I don't know if I'm more tuned into it because I like to hunt. I don't know if I'm more tuned into it because every single time that I, that I every time that I see People on the, on the news, you know, these, these conservationists, and believe me, hunters are the greatest conservationists because hunters want to have something to hunt. Okay, it's not about obliterating a species. It's about uh, wanting something to hunt, wanting something to eat, and having fun doing it. God gave us dominion. I'm just taking effect of it. Amen? So here's, here's the reality, though. There are groups of people that are working really hard, and they've actually succeeded in reintroducing savage beasts. They've reintroduced wolves in Yellowstone and wolves all throughout Idaho and Wyoming and Montana, and now Washington. And they're wreaking some havoc. Hello. Who saw that coming? Let's, let's just go back a little bit, back to the, to the founding days of this nation. As pioneers spread across this country and settled the land, they did what? They established towns, they established farms, and they built ranches, and they prospered as they worked hard. The farmers broke up the land and they tilled the soil. They figured out how to irrigate. And they grew incredible crops. This nation feeds the world. Ranchers pushed back against predatory beasts as they're coming across and they're setting up their big ranches out there and they got their, their cattle and their sheep and so forth. They pushed back against predatory beasts. We're talking about wolves and coyotes and, and bears and cougars and so forth. They used traps, they used poison, they used bullets. And as they kept them at bay, they prospered. Beyond grit and determination, beyond good old American ingenuity, or in addition to good old American ingenuity, was the blessing of God. He had said clear back in Leviticus to the people of Israel, and we know that, that God is no respecter of persons, so if a nation will honor God, God will honor that nation. He said, if you will honor me, if you will obey me, I will bless you this way. I will bless your crops, and I will bring rain at the right time, and I will bless your, the, the wine, and I will... I'll even push back savage beasts and keep them away. And he did that. So I have a hard time. Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe you'll feel the same way. But I have a hard time understanding why the government would now, or anybody, would work really hard to reintroduce savage beasts and at the same time strip farmers and ranchers of their rights to deal with those savage beasts. Now, don't worry, this is not some political sermon. I'm not up here to, 
to talk bad about the government or about policies. I'm just saying, you know, just, it just seems kind of strange to me that you work really hard and get the savage beasts out. You move them back into the mountains. You move them away from wherever your ranch is, and you're blessed by it. And then all of a sudden, some group comes along, or a group of people 100 years later comes along and says, hey, you know what we really need around here? We could really use some wolves and, and maybe some cougars. And you know what? We could, really, we could use some savage beasts that just might come in and tear up our cattle and, and you know, take away some of our profits. And no, farmer, I don't care if you're a farmer. I don't care how much money you've spent to raise these animals. You better not shoot one of these savage beasts because we're going to reintroduce them. We're bringing them back. We want you to be friends with them. Just know you might lose... 5%, 10%, 20%. It's okay, right? I mean, it's okay. It's okay for you to lose a bunch of cows, a bunch of sheep. Does that make sense to anybody? I've worked hard to clear the land, and now you're going to tell me I have to plant weeds in it and I can't pull them? I've worked hard to, to, to make this a safe haven, a safe place for my children to swing on their swing sets and to play in their background. And you tell me i got to leave the gate open for the pit bull terrier that's next door? Doesn't make any sense. And I, and I can't shoot the dumb dog if it comes in my yard? Doesn't make much sense, does it? Well, let's start thinking about things spiritually. Because it doesn't make an awful lot of sense to reintroduce savage beasts or to open up cleared property for stuff like that into an area that they've been removed from. Especially, especially when, according to our text, the removal of those beasts was part of the blessing of God. Are, are you catching what I'm saying? The removal, the pushing away of those savage beasts was part of the blessing of God. God said, if you will, then I will. Now see, it's not about extermination. It's not about causing a, a species of animal to become extinct. I'm here to tell you, I, I really think that God is more concerned about his creation than you or I are. I'm pretty confident that God cares more about the animals than PETA does or the Humane Society does. I'm pretty sure God's more concerned about the, the world that he created than any group or groups of people assembled are. The Bible says that not even a sparrow can fall to the ground without the Lord knowing about it. He knows. He cares. Guess what? He cares about you even more. And so it's kind of silly for us to take those things that God established as a blessing and want to get rid of the blessing. Lord, I worked hard and cleared it, and you blessed me, and now I just want to bring that stuff back. Thanks for the help, Lord, but... Please leave the predators around me. It, it makes farming and raising kids so much more exciting. I love worrying about my kids and my animals constantly. That's just one of the perks. It gets the blood pressure going. If it doesn't make sense to destroy a farm, if it doesn't make sense to destroy a family or a livelihood, for the sake of some wild critters. Why? Why would we do it spiritually? 
consider what God promises, what he offers for our obedience to him. Beauty for ashes. It's in Isaiah chapter 61. He promises that, that for our ashes, he'll, he'll replace it with beauty. Philippians 4, 7 says, peace that passes understanding. Wow. Is that not a great blessing? John 8, freedom from condemnation. If they don't condemn you, neither do I, Jesus said. When we walk in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, we have freedom from condemnation. I don't have to worry about it. He paid the price. We celebrated that this morning. He paid the price. I have to, if I just walk with him and maintain this relationship with him and do what he wants me to do and honor him and don't do what he doesn't want me to do, freedom from condemnation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we have a promise of being a new creation. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. It's dead. The new is here. He was speaking to the church in Corinth that was so messed up. And yet God loved them so much. I mean, they, God used a messed up church like the church in Corinth. And, I, and I've told you about it before. I, I consider them Little America. Corinth, Corinth was, it was a, a, a hotbed for immorality. Corinth was, was a, it was a melting pot of society. It was a trade center, and, and people from all around the world came, and they sold their wares, and they brought their, their, their pagan religious feasts and festivals and their idols, and they had more temples and more temple prostitutes. They had more immorality in that city than they had anywhere else in the known world. That city was so bad morally that the Greeks coined a phrase to Corinthianize, which meant to indulge in extreme moral depravity. And out of that mess of moral goofballs that are involved in everything, I mean, you think of it, they did it. Not only that, they were, they were, they were violent, they were vile, they were liars and cheaters, they were all of this stuff. Out of that, God birthed the church. People started getting saved from all of those things. His Holy Spirit was poured out. And they began operating the gifts of the Spirit. And because, because they messed up a few times, we have what we know about the proper way to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And a really neat thing, in all of the correction that, that God brought to the church through Paul, he never once told them, stop. He never said, stop operating the gifts of the Spirit. He never said, stop trusting me. He never said, you know what, just break this church up. He said, stop doing it wrong, start doing it right. And to these people who dealt with all the stuff in their past, with all, and, and, and believe me, if you struggle with doubts and fears and, and problems from the past, and you struggle with, boy, you know, I, I, oh, I'm really tempted or whatever. If you do, they did too. If you carried around a, a load of guilt and shame and the enemy keeps talking to you and telling you, trying to remind you of all the things that you've done wrong, even though you know you've been forgiven, you still deal with it, and the enemy still throws it in your face. They did too. 
And this group of people that are dealing with everything, Paul writes to them in his second letter. He says, look, if anyone is in Christ, you need to know this. If anyone is in Christ, what do I mean by that? You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've made him the boss. He's your best friend. He gets to tell you what way to go. He's telling you whether you're going to go to the right or the left. You're following him. You've got a relationship with him. He is your big brother and your savior. And his father is your father. If you are in Christ, then the old you is gone. It's dead. Stop trying to resurrect it because the new has come and there's not enough room for both of you. Okay, so we've got this, we've got this great promise that if we honor God, the old is gone. The new is here. But with great blessing comes great responsibility, right? What, so what are our responsibilities? You know, we can look at the Old Testament and go, yeah, but they also had the sacrifices. They had this, that, and this is the New Testament. Well, God doesn't change, but, but his dealings with us transform. So what's our responsibilities? Let's look at Romans chapter 13, verse 12. Put aside the deeds of darkness. There's responsibility number one. Put aside the deeds of darkness. What you did before, the things that you're ashamed of, the things that don't quite line up with Scripture, stop doing it. I don't think I can make it any simpler than that. And why we have to make it any more difficult blows my mind. Paul said, put away, put aside the deeds of darkness. You don't need it. Second, I want to look at Galatians chapter 5. Verses 19 through 21. Paul again writing, he says, look, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Any of that sound familiar? You ever struggle with any of that? If you don't say yes, at least in your heart, you are lying. And that's I think that was on the list. I can look at a lot of those and go, oh, oh, man. Oh, been there, done that. Oh. That's, that's the flesh. That's the acts of the flesh. Paul says, that's, it's obvious. You don't need somebody to take you through a six-week-long course to tell you. That's, it's obvious. These things... They're wrong. It's the acts of the flesh. It's wrong. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, if they don't inherit the kingdom of God, what are they going to get? That's a good question. That's kind of a universal question. That's a question everybody wants to know. What happens after this life? What happens when I die? Okay, okay. Let me make it real simple for you. One of two things is going to happen. In fact, if you don't mind just a little bit of humor, if you do mind, you're just going to have to deal with it and forgive me. Don't mind a little bit of humor. I believe that God is going to say the same thing to everybody. It's just going to mean something different. 
to each person, I believe, we're all going to hear the Lord say, well done. You got it. Well done. For some, he's going to add good and faithful servant. For others, it's just cooking instructions. So, uh, uh, uh. Joe likes it. Thank you, Joe. Here's the reality, and I really don't want to make light of it. I mean, we, we can laugh and joke around, but there's truth in this. There's heaven and there's hell. That's it. You either go to heaven and be in God's presence in paradise forever where there is no pain and sorrow, sickness, death, all of that's gone. The old is gone. And that's what the Lord wants for us. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross, that he could bridge the gap for you and me. He took our sin on his back so that we can have a right relationship, but we have to work that right relationship. We have to come into that relationship, and we have to maintain that relationship, because if we don't maintain that relationship, we don't go to heaven. Just because you had an experience one time back in 1953 at an altar and said, oh God, forgive me, clean me up, and I'll never do it again, but you never walk. That, just because you had that experience, well, it doesn't mean that you are still walking with it. You've got to stay with him. You've got to build that relationship on a daily basis. I said, I do, June 17th, 1989. I'm looking at you, and you're not even looking at me. I was looking for help, but I remembered. I said, I do, and, I, and every single day I get up and say, I still do. I don't necessarily say it to her. I say it inside. I still do. If I stopped doing, then we would stop being. Right? Same thing with God. Why do you think he used marriage as, a, as an example from Genesis through Revelation of the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us? you got to keep working it. you got to stay with him. If you want to get to heaven, because the only other option is hell. And it is forever just like heaven is forever. And it is very real, and it is a place of torture. The fire never goes out, and the worm never dies, the Bible says. There is screaming and yelling. Torture. And you don't want to go there. And you know what else? It wasn't made for you, and it wasn't made for me. It was made for the devil and his demons. And they are not... You need to understand this. The, de the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever name you want to call him, he is not the boss of hell. He is just the number one criminal locked up in it. He is not the boss of hell. God is the boss of hell. God is casting the devil into hell. God is casting the demons into hell. And God will let you go to hell if you want to. If you don't want to, then build a relationship with him and live it. Amen? About as simple as I can make it. There's heaven, there's hell, they're both very real. Let's go to heaven. Paul writes to the Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 and verse 31, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. That's our responsibility. Put off the old. 
Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. All these things that maybe you used to do that brought shame and, and, and sadness in your life, get rid of them. Anything that separates you from God, get rid of it. That's, that's your responsibility. Tell you what, as a pastor, there's nothing for me that's more exciting and more satisfying than seeing people come to Christ. There is nothing more satisfying to me than watching somebody grow in their relationship with the Lord. I don't care. I've, I've had the privilege of ministering to people that have come out of every kind of background you can think of. And I love to see that transformation from sinner to saint. From, from a drunk to somebody who's sober, from an addict to somebody who's free, from, from a violent person to a tender person, from a selfish person to a generous person, from a fearful person to a confident person. These are the, this is the transformation that comes through Jesus Christ. I love it. It's so much fun to be able to walk alongside people. You know what? You don't have to be a pastor to enjoy that. Because we're all called to be discipling people. If you haven't been discipling somebody, get on that bandwagon. It's fun. It's fun. There's nothing more exciting, more satisfying. But you know what? There's nothing that's more disheartening than watching individuals go back and reintroduce savage beasts in their life. I mean, from the, from the simple and the mundane, I... I probably shouldn't call it simple and mundane, but you know how we how we have a tendency to compare sin and how we have a tendency to rate it. I I've had people come in my office before and say, Pastor, I want you to I want you to pray with me so that I so that I can stop smoking. I and I, I need to break this addiction. Absolutely. But I've sat with them and said, Hey, here's what we need to do though. If you are serious about this, then give me your cigarettes. And we're going to go and we're going to throw them away. We're going to flush them down the toilet. We're going to bust them up. I've actually had people say, you know what? I just bought a new carton. I said, okay, bring me the carton. They're like, well, I was thinking maybe you could pray for me. I quit when I'm done. Because they actually said this. They said, because wouldn't that be poor stewardship if I bought it and I just threw it away? I said, listen to me, it was bad stewardship for you to buy it in the first place. If you're serious about being set free from this addiction, I'm happy to pray with you, but you got to do your part. Okay. So they, went, they went home before we, I mean, they got up, ran out of my office, went home, got them, came back. Okay, okay Pastor, I'm serious, I want to do this. I pray with them, we break them up. Boom, God set them Free. I mean, from that moment on. I've known people that that moment on, they are free. Like, woo! I said, now, don't test it. In a week or two, when you're having a hard time, don't, don't put God to the test. You don't know how many times I've had people come up, oh. Pastor, I blew it. I said, well, what'd you do? Well, you know how you prayed, man. I hadn't had a cigarette, man. I didn't even have a craving for a cigarette. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, well, I just, 
I don't know, for some reason, last night I was just thinking, hey, you know what, if God really set me free, then if I smoke one, it's going to make me sick. I'm thinking, I know where this is going. They lit it up. You know what, it didn't make me sick. Really? Yeah, but now I can't quit. And they're addicted like five times worse than they were the first time. I hate seeing people go backwards. Now, I understand we're in a... We're in a process where we're progressing. And sometimes God is going to take that addiction. He's going to take that issue. He's going to take that sin. He's going to take that problem that you deal with. And he's going to take it away right now. And you're going to be set free right now, never to be tempted by it again. Don't go back and test the waters. Just rejoice that you're set free from whatever it is. Just accept it. God works like that sometimes. Just accept it, rejoice, and woohoo, and start praying for other people. Start telling people what God did for you. And some, Sometimes God's going to bring us through a process where we're going to have to work it a little bit harder, where we're going to be tempted. We're, you know, we may we may fail now and then, but you know what? Though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. We need to get back up, get back on that horse. Keep giving it to the Lord until He finally sets you free. I don't know why some people are delivered just like that, and some people have to work it up the rest of their life. But I know God does, and He cares. But we need to be careful that we don't put them to the test in those situations. Nothing is more frustrating than watching people get victory and then slip back into it. I had another time I've told you before about this demoniac woman. and I'll just, I'll just save the long story and tell you, we sat in my office, and I'm looking at her, and I'm talking to her, and I could, I could tell when I was talking to her and when I'm talking to a demon. It's just, it's just weird. It's just... It's a spiritual thing. And I asked her, I said, I said, you're possessed. Yep. I said, how many? She said, 10. I said, okay. So I started praying. Get out. Get out. And I could see. I'm not kidding you. I could see when a demon would leave. And another one would leave. And another one would leave. And then I could see when she'd put the brakes on and let them back in. So exciting to watch them go. So frustrating to watch somebody bring them back in. After a while, I said, you know what, we're done here. Because obviously, you, you don't want them gone, so I don't have authority. I mean, I, you know, the Bible says you cast a demon out, it goes around and finds, finds nothing to do, comes back and finds the house clean and swept but not filled with anything. It goes out and gets seven demons worse than itself. And they come back and the, and the end result is worse than the beginning. And I don't know if I'm exactly right on this mindset, but my thinking is if a person does not want to be set free because we are people with a free will, we're not robots. If they don't want to be set free, though I have authority over demons and devils and principalities in it, and I cast them out, if they don't want to be set free, they're not going to fill themselves with Jesus, and that demon's going to come back and find the house clean and swept and their condition is going to be worse. So when it comes to spiritual things like that, we need to use spiritual discernment and know when it's the right time. All of that, though, to say that was probably the most frustrating day of my life to sit there and see this victory begin. But because of fear, doubts, or whatever, just plain old stubbornness, to see her welcome them back in. 
So let me ask you, what savage beasts, for the believer here, what savage beasts have been removed from your life? You came to Christ, you knew that there was something that needed to change, there was issues in your life they needed to change, and the Lord began one by one, or maybe a whole bunch of them, He began to take them away. I can list a bunch of savage beasts that people deal with. Anger, lust, addiction, hatred, fear, doubt, unforgiveness, immorality, violence. You can be saved from all these things and many more. Maybe you're still dealing with these or others like them because you've never surrendered to Jesus. But let me tell you this. The Bible says in John 8.36, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. You know who said that? Jesus. There's really nobody with any greater authority to speak into our lives. And Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, He is the Son. If the Son sets you free, you're free. I don't care what the scars say. Don't put more faith in your feelings than in my word. If the Son sets you free, you are free. We've got to get over this feeling stuff. Get on with faith. Galatians 5.1, I, I love this. I, I love the simplicity of the gospel. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. You know what that means? He just doesn't want you to be captive to anything. He doesn't want you to be slave. He wants you to be captivated by His love. He wants you to be, be a, a bondservant, a yoke, yoked with Him, but He doesn't want you to be a slave of anything. It's for freedom that He sets you free. A lot of people have sacrificed everything they had, even their own lives, to get to this country to have freedom. Freedom from oppression and freedom from other things that they didn't have in their homeland. They said, you know what? Whatever I got to go through, if I got to cross oceans, if I got to cross uh, fields, if I got to cross walls, if I got to get shot at, it's worth the risk just to have freedom. But just because you come into America doesn't mean you're right with God. American and Christian aren't synonymous. Jesus said, you know what? I crossed oceans, valleys, mountains. I crossed the difference between heaven and hell. I bridged the gap so that you could be free. For freedom's sake. For you. When I set you free, you're free. What else does it say there in Galatians? Stand firm. Here's our responsibility. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. We've got a responsibility. Don't let it happen. When Abraham wanted a wife for his son Isaac, he was, he was too old and 
and feeble in his mind to make the journey back. He wanted to make sure that his son had a, had a wife from the family, but he didn't want his son going back there. And he made his servant swear an oath that he would not take Isaac back to the land that he left. If the woman doesn't want to come, you're free from, you're free from your vow. But don't you ever take my son back there. I think I think Jesus talks the same talks the same way about us. If you don't want to come, you don't have to come, but you don't have to ever go back there. And I, I think if, if more fathers, I'm just going to pick on fathers because I am one. If more fathers would take that kind of mindset spiritually with their children, say, you know what? I can't make you come, but you're going to go over my dead body. Don't ever go back. Don't go back to where we came from. It's time for us to go forward. Moses' father wasn't afraid of the decree of Pharaoh. Although Pharaoh had said that, that every Jewish boy had to be thrown into the river, had to be thrown out, had to be killed, Moses' father looked at him and said, over my dead body, you're not getting my kid over my dead body. Church, it's time for us to rise up and say, over my dead body, I'm not giving back. I'm not going back, and you're not taking my family back. Jesus warned the paralytic by the pool in John chapter 5. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen. This, after Jesus healed him, the guy had been paralyzed for years and years. He sat by the pool because the, the legend had it, and it actually worked for him that, that every once in a while an angel would come down and stir the waters, and the first person that jumped into the water was healed of whatever disease they had. And Jesus came along and and he asked the guy, because he knew how long he'd been there, he said, do you want to get better? I'm, I'm laying around, I'm by the pool. Do you want to get better? Well, I don't have anybody, I'm not asking for your lame excuses. Do you want to get better? You get up, take up your mat, and walk. So he did. But Jesus found him later and said, look, you're healed now. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen. And that's a good warning for every single one of us. You're here, you walk into, you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are clean. He sets you free from the past. You're clean now, but stop sinning. It doesn't give you a grace card to do whatever you want and just, oh, you know, on Sunday I'll bow my knee and ask Jesus to forgive me, or, or when I go to bed at night I'll bow my knee. No, stop sinning. You know how to sin? Stop. Or something worse may happen, Jesus said. And to the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, and Jesus looked around at all those men that were trying to throw stones at her that were condemning her. When they had left one by one, Jesus stood up and looked at the woman and says, Where, where's those men that were going to condemn you? She said, they're gone. He says, well, then neither do I condemn you. He was the only one in that circle that could have. Neither do I condemn you, but now go and leave your life of sin. He saved her in the moment. He wanted her to stay saved for eternity. Go and leave your life of sin.
we have a tendency sometimes to focus on Jesus' lack of condemnation, but ignore the command to leave sin. And the one has to follow the other. The one has to follow the other. I'm going to wrap this up just by saying that I love the simplicity of the gospel. And this works. We don't have to make it any more difficult than this. Four things. Four things for walking and having a great relationship with the Lord. Number one, accept the Lord. Number two, stop living like you were. The old is gone. The new is here. Stop living like you were. Number three, enjoy the new life. Why is that so hard? Why? Oh, I became a Christian. Now I got to be boring. What? Oh, I gave my life to the Lord. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. I can just hurry up and get off this earth. So hard. Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Enjoy this life. Enjoy this freedom. We get to live here on earth amidst all the strife and the struggle and all the garbage. We get the opportunity to live a victorious life here on earth that is fun and fulfilling and a good witness to others. We have the opportunity to snatch people from the fire. My goodness, every single one of you have people that you get to interact with that I probably will never meet unless, unless you invite them to church and they actually come. But you work with some of them and some of them are your family. They can't get away from you. And you get to live, I mean, let's live a fun life. Let's enjoy it. Let's stop walking around like being a Christian is so humdrum and it's all... Why do we focus so much? Why do people focus so much on what you can't do? Did anybody find so much pleasure in all the things that you can't do now that you didn't want to give it up? I didn't think of the things I did before I was serving the Lord. I could still go back and do them if I wanted to. I don't want to. It wasn't that fun. I don't like guilt. I don't like frustration. I don't like that stuff. So I'm going to enjoy this new life that I've got through Jesus. And then finally, don't reintroduce the savage beasts. It was part of the promise, part of the blessing. I'll drive them away. Don't invite them back. Say, Lord, thanks for pushing them out. If, I want to, if you want to see the snow, go up in the mountain. How about that? Same principle. But I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to go visit the wild beasts. Don't go sit outside the bar and look in. Okay, Because the temptation might get too strong. Stop reintroducing the savage beast. Let's take joy in the fact that he has set us free. Amen? Well, why don't you go ahead and stand. We're going to close this morning. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I, I, I just want to remind you, we, these altars are here. It's a good place to, to come and, and square things away with the Lord, come and listen to the Lord. You know, praying isn't just about talking to God. It's about listening to God. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. These altars are here, so you have an opportunity not only to talk to the Lord, but to listen to Him in a place where you hopefully won't be distracted. So um, those of you that need to go, when I... 
release you can go but i please if you're going to visit visit out there in the foyer so that you're not a distraction to those that maybe are spending time in prayer we've been given a great gift in salvation we've been given a great responsibility let's walk it out let's live it out let's enjoy it and if we've fallen back if you find yourself here today and and you've reintroduced some of those savage beasts i want to pray with you but you know what get rid of them Push them aside. It's, it doesn't have to be anything miraculous. You don't have to have somebody lay hands on you and, and anoint you with oil. You need to make that decision that I'm not going to walk with those beasts anymore. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for your great blessings. Lord, as we come to the end of this service, Lord, I know that there's things that we all struggle with. There's issues from our past that keep trying to pull us back. Dresses up different ways and it becomes more and more appealing. Lord, sometimes the temptation just becomes so great. But Jesus, you came to set us free, even from temptation. You came to set us free from the need to fall and the need to fail. Lord, you said that if we would honor you and walk with you, Father, that you would even drive out the savage beasts. Lord, I pray that you would give strength today to your people. Lord, if there are those here that are struggling with issues of the past, with habits and lifestyles and so forth, Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to take you at your word. Lord, that the old is gone and the new is here. Lord, I pray that you would draw each one close. And Jesus, if there are those here today that don't know you, they've never come into a relationship with you, so struggle is all they know and all they have. Lord, I pray that they would come to that point of receiving you even today. If that's you this morning, if you're here, you don't know Jesus, I'm not going to call you out. I'm just going to give you a word of encouragement. Simple prayer. Lord, forgive me. Be my Savior. Come in and lead my life. Thank you, Jesus. That's all you gotta. That's all you gotta pray, and then start walking it. But Lord, if there's those here that that that's their prayer today, would you come and fill them, save them, bless them? Now, Jesus, I commit your people to your grace throughout this day, Lord. Let us walk in your freedom and in your blessing. In Jesus' precious name, amen. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.